and welcome to episode 55 of the Burt's Books podcast. This week has seen quite a lot of books be published, uh, including some old favourites that I've previously mentioned on on the podcast, including Last One at the Party, and some potentially that I'll be talking about in a couple of weeks' time as well. I've also sent out the last of the uh, February bundles. They went out on the beginning of the week. And I've read lots and lots of exciting new books that I will be telling you all about on the other side of this music. It is the start of a new month, so that means we take a look back at what the best-selling books of the year so far are. Obviously, a bit of a funny time, we're in the middle of lockdown, uh, which means that we don't actually have sales figures, so that makes things a little bit tougher to work out just exactly what is selling. But I've used some good maths, I've used a little bit of instinct to work out just what the top 10 are for January, and uh, I've also used data sourced from Nielsen Bookscan's Total Consumer Market Panel Chart. At 10, it's Just My Luck by Adele Parks. Two Chubby Cubs uh, at 9 by James and Paul Anderson. Delia Owens with Where the Crawdad Sings is at number 8. Lisa Jules' Invisible Girl is at 7. The Fast 800 Easy by Dr Claire Bailey and Justine Patterson is at 6. And at 5, it's Pinch of Nom by Kay Featherston and Kate Allenson. At 4, it's another Pinch of Nom book, Everyday Light, also by Kay Featherston and Kate Allenson. And at 3, it's Richard Osman with The First Day Murder Club. At 2, it is 2020's overall bestseller, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse by Charlie Mackesy. But steaming in ahead, double the amount uh, sold, probably, is Pinch of Nom, Quick and Easy, also by Kay Featherston and Kate Allenson. Those of you who were listening way back in uh, 2020 will know that uh, Pinch of Nom uh, started at the top and by, I think about May, June time, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse had overtaken. It's not showing any signs of slowing down that book, so it'll be interesting to see whether it can uh, take over again or if something else will suddenly steam up the charts later in the year. At the moment, it's Pinch of Nom, but things will probably change some books you hear a lot about before they're published you know they, they they're building for years and years the publicity machine is just going and going on them and so when the, when they finally do come out you're like oh okay at last uh, and and you read it and it's good and you tell everyone and they love it too but then there are some books that just suddenly sneak up on you and surprise you and for me the smallest man by francis quinn was one of them It all started when uh, somebody tagged me in a post from the author and asked if I could get hold of the special indie edition of the book. Uh, So I did a bit of research, found that I could, and I sold about 15 of them in the space of two or three days, which for a hardback uh, is pretty good, especially for one by a debut author. So uh, I thought, I'm going to have to read this. I'm going to have to find out what this is about so that I can uh, understand because so many people have snapped this up. And it is 
one of the reasons is it's got a beautiful cover. It's uh, the smallest man. It's got lots of gold swirls around it, almost like a, a path. And it goes from a, a silhouette of a woman um, and, and a dog through to a ship. There's a horse and there's a monkey and a tree. And then right at the bottom, there's a, a crown as well. Uh, what is it about, though? Apart from a beautiful cover, what is this book about? Well, the blurb says this. My name is Nat Davy. Perhaps you've heard of me. There was a time when people up and down the land knew my name, though they only ever knew half the story. The year of 1625 it was when a single shilling changed my life. That shilling got me taken off to London, where they hid me in a pie of all things, so I could be given as a gift to the new Queen of England. They called me the Queen's Dwarf, but I was more than that. I was her friend when she had no one else, and later on, when the people of England turned against their king, it was me who saved her life. When they turned the world upside down, I was there, right at the heart of it, and this is my story. So, Nat Davy uh, is a young man, he's ten or so when the story starts, and he's got dwarfism, is, is what we would say now. Uh, he's not very tall, he's, um, he's often mistaken for a two-year-old, so his parents tell him not to talk to anyone when they're out and about, because people will think he's weird, um, you know, it's a strange, strange thing. And he gets spotted at a fun fair by somebody who wants to buy him, uh, and his father agrees to sell him because he's of no use to him. He can't go and help out in the fields. He's a mouth to feed that has no way of paying for its own sort of existence. So he's about to pay him, about to sell him to this uh, this circus owner when another man, a duke, offers him one shilling more. And it's then that he gets sold to the duke and the duke presents him as a present to the queen. And he starts off with... Uh, as sort of just an anomaly, a little bit of a a fun thing around the court. But he speaks his mind to the Queen. He is a confidant to her, and they become friends, as the blurb says. And she begins to rely on him, she begins to trust him. And so when her husband, Charles I, is uh, involved in a civil war... Um, she is sort of spirited away out of the country. This is an area of history that I kind of thought I knew, but I only really knew a few facts. I knew about Thomas Cromwell, I knew about Charles I. I think he was the one who hid in an oak tree. I know he got uh, his head chopped off. And I know that Oliver Cromwell, for a while, um, won. But I didn't actually know an awful lot once I really thought about it. Uh, I didn't know about the Queen. I didn't know that she was only 15 years old when they first married. So there isn't a huge age gap between her and Nat. Uh, there's um, She's Catholic and that causes problems throughout the country. And actually she's almost the, the rallying point for this war. The people that are against her are the ones who then say that she's having a bad influence on the king and that the king... I mean, the king, from Nat Davies' point of view, certainly doesn't know what he's doing. He's rather ineffectual. And what I liked about this story was 
it doesn't actually linger too much on the historical facts. It lingers more on the personal story of Nat Davy. He wasn't there for a lot of the time when the king was making his decisions, so we don't spend a lot of time there. What we do spend a lot of time on is the decisions of the queen and her story and his story as well and his friends and uh, what happens to him when he leaves the queen for a reason he has to leave her and then we also talk about love for him and he, he's sure he'll never find it and uh, and it's a it's a really nice story it is based on two accounts there was a a dwarf who belonged to the queen um belonged in obviously air quotes and he did have to leave her at one point following a duel but then you know, the, the author acknowledges that she made a lot of it up uh some of it is just coloring in gaps that we just don't know the answers to so there's no proof that this happened but again there's no proof that it didn't uh, and then some bits are just changed completely, as she acknowledges in the um, in the author's note at the end, just for dramatic purposes and for the purpose of telling a story. And this story is it's it is presented as a big one, the story of civil war and of the kings and queens, but it's not. Uh, forgive the pun. It's a little one. It's a little story. It's a story about finding your place in the world, and feeling like a freak because we all feel like a freak and we end up in these extraordinary places which all seem rather normal we go from them from one to the other to the other to the other and they all seem to make sense but then when you stop and look back on it it's a world of change and so much has happened and actually we have achieved more than we than we have than we thought we had and that's the story of Nat Davy. and there's a story that shows there's no small lives there is literally just small people and you can make that life as big as you want it to be or you can make it small as you want to be and it was a really heartwarming story in fact and a really easy read I find sometimes historical book fiction is quite tough um, it's almost like wading through historical fact after historical fact but this isn't like that. In fact, it, it colours in the history bits just enough that it makes you want to go and research a bit more and work out what it is that you don't know or what you thought you knew might not be true. Uh, and it made me want to stay more in this world. Uh, Nat is talking directly to us. He is telling us this story, and it so it feels much more personal. And he doesn't die at the end he is left living his life in a certain way and I want to find out more about him I want to spend more time in his company and I want to find out what happens in the rest of his life and I just want him to tell me more stories because he's a good storyteller so I think that's one of the marks of a good book it's The Smallest Man it's by Francis Quinn it's out in hardback right now and I do have some signed book plates so if you fancy getting hold of a copy then just let me know uh, it's on the website birthsbooks.co.uk there's no more of the indie edition available but i can get the normal edition and you will get that signed book plate inside so yeah go ahead go and order it my guest on page master this week is amy amy tell us a little bit about yourself who you are what you do 
Um, I, hi, I'm Amy. Um, I work in customer service and I'm a massive book fan, which you'll be pleased to hear. Um, so I, I mainly read fiction. Um, I read a little bit of non-fiction. I'd like to get more into that, but fiction is my main area. Um, so, yeah. So you, uh, you do read a lot. So what sort of uh, fiction is your specific genre of choice? Um, I, it, it depends on my mood, actually. Um, I sort of deviate from one genre to another. Sometimes I might go down the horror route. Sometimes it might be a crime. Sometimes it might be more like a literary type of fiction. So it, it depends on my mood, really. Well, that should stand you in good stead. Uh, we've got a wide range of questions. So fingers crossed you'll be you'll be okay on them fingers crossed <laughs> now you're going to get 10 questions each question is worth one point and five seconds in the final round and in the final round you'll get the choice of two categories and you'll be asked to name as many books authors or characters that apply to that category as you can okay. those points will be added to the points from the first round and you'll end up on the leaderboard and you will definitely end up on the leaderboard because there is one empty space on it at the moment. Okay. But ideally, we, were, we want you up near the top. So we had Scott is currently at the top on 17 points or Michael on 11. So that's kind of your, that's the target you want to aim for. Okay, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Uh, if you do make it and you stay there until December, you will be in the running to win £100 worth of books. Great. If you're ready, we will begin. Okay, let's go. Question one. I'm going to read the first line of a book to you and I would like you to tell me what that book is. Everyone talks about falling in love like it's the most miraculous, life-changing thing in the world. Something happens, they say, and you know. I unfortunately have no idea. I don't think it's one I've read. I might have yeah. to pass. I can't think of any, even a guess at the moment, I'm afraid. It's The Great Godden by Meg Rossoff. Okay. It is always a hard one, that first one. I like to like to start it off hard. Yeah, no, I haven't <laughs> read that, so. Question two. The Light Years, Casting Off and All Change are books in which series of novels by Elizabeth Jane Howard? Oh dear, this is not this is not starting well, and um, I don't know that one either, unfortunately. You want to guess? Uh, no, I can't even guess because I've not even heard of her, which is really embarrassing. Uh, that is the Cazalette Chronicles. Okay. A very good series of books. You should check it out if you get the chance. Okay. Question three: P. H. Newby wrote twenty-three novels between nineteen forty-five and 1995. But what was particularly notable about his 1968 novel, Something to Answer For? Um, I'll, I'll guess something. Um, it had elements of a memoir in it. It was slightly autobiographical. Uh, no, a little bit more easier than that. It was the first winner of the Booker Prize. Okay. Question four. This one you can guess at. Question four. What does either the P or the H stand for in PH Newbie? Peter. Close. It was Percy Howard. Okay. 
Question five. Chris Smith writes the Kid Normal series of books alongside whom? Children's books are not my not my forte, unfortunately. Um, David Jones, I don't know. It's Greg James, the Radio 1 DJ. Oh no, of course, yeah. <laughs> Question six. The best-selling book of 2020 was The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse by Charlie Mackesy. But in total, how many weeks did it spend in the top 10 during that year? Um, it was quite, yeah, I'd say it's the majority of the year. Um, 30? So it, it, was, it was the majority of the year. The correct answer was 50 weeks. Oh, right. Okay, well, yeah. Question seven. Which first name links the surnames Gardner, Stone and Jewel? Lisa? Lisa is the correct answer. Well done. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> Question eight. Which book by John Mars is soon to be made into a Netflix series? Oh, no, this is a not... Yep, I know this. And oh, I've heard about it, and I'm going to kick myself so much. No, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pass. It's the one. Okay. Question nine. In the Harry Potter universe, which animal is synonymous with Hufflepuff House? It's the badger. Correct. Question 10. Which year saw the first awarding of the Nobel Prize in Literature, the publication of Kim by Rudyard Kipling, and The First Men in the Moon by H.G. Wells? Right, um, I'm going to guess 19... 20? It's 1901, a little bit earlier than that. Um, you got two out of ten, which is uh, uh, pretty good. Um, others have had had smaller numbers and done pretty well, so uh, you can still do a decent showing in the final round. I would like you to pick two numbers between 1 and 25. Um, I will go for 1 and 25, please. Okay, uh, the options you have are B, P, or N. Hmm. What do you think they are? What are you going to go for? Um, I, I'm not entirely sure. I feel like I should know what N is, but um, I, I'm going to go for N, please. Okay, Amy, you've chosen N, so you're going to have 10 seconds to tell me as many authors with their surnames beginning with N as you can. Your time starts now. Okay, uh, Ngozi Adichie, Niven, um, I'm sure there's someone called Newton, probably. Um, <laughs> That's it, <laughs> uh, You got three there. Uh, you okay, got Newton. Uh, I'll allow that because I'm sure Isaac Newton wrote one. 
Uh, Niven from <laughs> Niven undergoes Eardichi. So you got three points. That gives you five points in total. Considering it was quite a hard round, it puts you on the leaderboard in fifth place. So you will be there for at least another week. Okay, probably not for much longer. But... <laughs> you never oh, well. <laughs> know. If everybody gets as hard questions as that, then um, then you're in with a good shot, I think. <laughs> Thank you so much for playing. All right. Thank you very much. Amy finds herself in fifth place on the leaderboard. So well done to her. Now, I am getting some feedback that maybe, just maybe, some of these questions are too hard. So uh, it is all down to the luck of the draw. There's lots and lots of questions out there. But I will try and make sure they're a little bit more balanced, uh, let's say, for future rounds. If you would like to take part in one of those rounds, then do get in touch. Email bert at bertsbooks.co.uk or find me on Twitter at bertsbooks. And you could be in the running to win £100 worth of books at the end of the year. It's time for the Burt's Bookshelf uh, part of the week. This is where I am going through my bookshelf to try and decide whether what I have on there is worth keeping, whether I should box it up and store it away, because basically I haven't got enough room at the moment. The solution is to buy a new house, um, but I'm a few years off of that, so uh, we will have to box up some books instead. Uh, the next one on the shelf that I am keeping is The Sunshine Kid by Harry Baker. This is actually the only book of poetry that I have on my, on my bookshelf, and he's Harry Baker was quite a modern poet. The reason I have it is this marks a time in my life uh, when I, I can look back and say that this is when I really hit peak, I'm an adult now, because I'd not long switched to listening to Radio 2. It was around the time that Sarah Cox had her evening show around 10, 11 o'clock at night, and so my car radio was set to to Radio 2 because of that. And... They were talking about Harry Baker because they were up in Edinburgh and they were talking about um, all the people that were potentially around and they picked out Harry Baker and um, they read him one of his poems on the show. We went up to Edinburgh as um, for a friend's birthday. We decided we'd do the Fringe for the weekend. So we went up, and I'd, I'd listened to Radio 2 in the week, so I knew the only thing I knew that was happening was the Sunshine Kid was, was there. So I wanted, to, I wanted to go and find him. And uh, we, we had such an amazing weekend. We, we saw uh, Milton Jones, we saw Chris Ramsey, we saw loads of other people. We saw a friend of, a friend of ours who was up there doing some stuff. That was really interesting. We, we saw loads of different people. We saw Magic Act uh, up there. They were great. And then I dragged one of my friends off to see The, the Sunshine Kid by Harry Baker. And his was uh, in a tiny little room underneath a pub. It was like an arch. It was like a cellar, I guess. He'd booked the space long before he'd been on Radio 2 and, and all of that. So his popularity had soared, but his audience wasn't very big. In fact, there was probably room for maybe four rows of ten people in this in this archway. But they'd put a TV up in the room next door so that other people could 
listen to the show. Well, me and my friend Brucey, we managed to find two seats uh, in that sort of row of 40. So we sat there and we listened to it and it was really, really good. He was really funny, really modern poetry. And uh, like some of the, I'm not going to read any of the poems because I can't do it as good as he. But I would strongly suggest that you look up some of these. So let's all play Monopoly. I think some of them are available to watch on YouTube. Let's all play Monopoly. That is a really good one. Perhaps my favourite is 59. Uh, it's a love poem about prime numbers. So also have a listen to that one as well. Because it's not only is it funny, um, makes you think, but it's also just really clever from start to finish. Perhaps, actually, I will read you the first bit of one called The Scientist and the Bumblebee. The scientist said the bumblebee couldn't fly. She lacked the wing beats per minute or the necessary size. But the bumblebee, in her ignorance, proved him wrong. She knew that she could fly because she'd flown all along. Imagine if she'd listened to the man. She might have stopped, given up on the spot, tucked her wings in and dropped. So don't ever let someone tell you what you can't do because just because it's proven doesn't mean it's true. And... I've... Yeah, I... This is the kind of poetry I love because it's fun on the surface, but actually it does have these lovely meanings to it. Uh, and one other thing about this book, um, I, so I bought this book on the, at the end of the show and um, have dipped into it a couple of times since then, but it reminds me of the whole Edinburgh trip in total, and I can't talk about that Edinburgh trip without talking about the um, the the air steward that we uh, had on the way up there he was very very cute we were sat row one um he's a very cute guy he was a bit flirty um i was flirting back because i had um sort of with my friends around me had that extra bit of confidence uh and then nothing more came of it we you know it was only an hour long flight and then on the way back uh we got on the plane again row one and he was our steward again. And he didn't notice us for our because there was an issue with another passenger. And we're halfway through taking off and he suddenly spots us. So he's sort of waving and asking us how our weekend was. And the, my friend's like, go on, ask him out, ask him out. And he came up and he gave us all a little glass of wine. And he'd, what was funny is he'd remembered what we drank uh, as well. So that was cool. And then uh, right at the end, he came back, handed me half a bottle of white wine and said... Uh, this has uh, been left over, you may as well have it, I know you'll enjoy it. And so by the time I might have worked up the courage to ask him out, I was absolutely sloshed. And uh, I mean, I drank nearly a full bottle of wine in, in, in an hour. So I was quite sloshed and uh, didn't, get his, uh, didn't get his number. So uh, if he's listening, if he wants to get in contact, if he remembers that, then um, he... Uh, you can email Bert at bertsbooks.co.uk, although I suspect, I suspect that, that that plane has flown. Anyway, The Sunshine Kid by Harry Baker is available to order on bertsbooks.co.uk. It's time for my favourite bit of the week, and that is, of course, the book charts. We've already heard this week about how uh, Pinch of Nom is the best-selling book of the year, but is it still the best-selling book from last week. It was at the top of the charts from the beginning of the year up to last week. Is it still there now? Or is one of the three new releases in its place? We've got A Springtime Affair by Katie Ford. 
It's the season of new beginnings for Helena and Clilly. Clilly runs her own B&B business from her much-loved family home, which she doesn't want to part with at any price. But that's before she meets handsome estate agent Leo, and soon she begins to wonder whether selling up might not be such a bad idea after all. Meanwhile, Clilly's daughter Helena has a budding romance of her own. A talented weaver, she's becoming very close to her new landlord, Iago, who's offered to help her at an upcoming calf fair. It's what friends do, and they are just friends, aren't they? Also, this week is Forgive Me by Susan Lewis. This one is proving quite popular with uh, people on birthsbooks.co.uk at the moment. I can't forgive myself, not after what I did. Could you? This is Claudia Winter's last chance for a fresh start. Changing her name and leaving her old life behind, she has fled to the small town of Kesterley with her mother and daughter. Here, she hopes they can be safe for the first time in years, but the past can't stay hidden forever. And even as Claudia makes new friends and builds a new life, she can't help feeling it's all about to catch up with her, until one disastrous night changes everything forever. And the last new release of the week is Danielle Steele, The Numbers Game. Eileen Jackson was happy to set aside her own career dreams in order to raise a family with her husband Paul. But when she discovers Paul's affair with a younger woman, she begins to question all those years of sacrifice and compromise. On the brink of 40, she fears it's too late to start over. Meanwhile, Paul's girlfriend Olivia is struggling to find herself while in the shadow of her mother, a famous actress, and her grandmother, a fiercely independent artist. With their love and support, Olivia takes a major professional step, but she realises she still has much to learn about herself before committing her life to someone else. Ultimately, Eileen decides to chase her own dreams as well, thousands of miles away in Paris. What awaits is an adventure that transforms her life. So will one of those make it to the top spot or will Pink Livnon be there for a fifth week in a row? There is only one way to find out and that is by using data sourced from Nielsen Bookscan's total consumer market panel chart. At 10, it's the first of our new entries. It's Danielle Steele with The Numbers Game. No move at nine for Delia Owens and Where the Crawdad Sings. Our second new entry of the week is Forgive Me by Susan Lewis at eight. And at seven, it's a springtime affair for Katie Ford. At six, down one place, it's Pink of Nom Everyday Life by Kate Emerson and Kate Allenson. Up two places to five, it's the original Pink of Nom by Kate Everson and Kate Allenson. And at four, up two places, it's Fair Warning by Michael Connolly. No move at three for the Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. No move at two for the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse by Charlie Maxey, which means it is five weeks in a row for Kay Featherston and Kate Allenson with Pink of Nom, quick and easy. Now we're through January, we might start to see those Pink of Nom books starting to pull away. However, one thing I've noticed, I think that this year there is a lot more fiction in the top ten. So could we see one of the new fiction titles from this week head up to the top spot? Well, there's only one way to find out, and that is by listening to the Burt's Books podcast next week. My boiler's clicked on just as I've pressed record, but hopefully you can't hear it and I will power on anyway. Uh, I'm going to talk about Me, My Dad and the End of the Rainbow by Benjamin Dean. Uh, I'll just read the blurb to you first. My name's Archie and I know two things for certain. One, my mum and dad kind of hate each other. Two, 
They're keeping a big secret from me. All Archie wants is for them to be a happy family again. But then he overhears Dad's secret and his dream is blown apart. When a colourful flyer falls out of Dad's pocket, Archie thinks he may have found the answer. Only problem, that answer might just lie at the end of the rainbow. So this is a book uh, intended for maybe 9 year old, 10 year old, 10 plus. Uh, Archie is a 12 year old uh, in the book and his two friends Belle and Seb are you know, in the same year as him at school. When we meet Archie right at the beginning of the book his parents have already split up and they're arguing all the time and he, you know, Archie's not altogether happy about it. He kind of wants things to go back to how they were before, but he doesn't seem overly fussed about it, if you see what I'm saying, in that he... I think he, what he wants is for his parents to get on. I don't think he necessarily needs them to be living together in the same house. Especially when, and spoiler alert if you haven't worked it out, he finds out that his dad is gay. And he finds out in probably the worst possible way, in that he overhears an argument between his parents... Uh, with Seven Bell either side of him, and they all pretend that he hasn't heard. But the argument was actually about uh, his mum telling his dad to tell him that he's gay. And when he does sit him down shortly after that and tells him, he says, oh, I'm gay, do you have any questions? And Archie is kind of like, no, but also he has a million questions. And because of that, there becomes this sort of awkwardness between them. What follows is a, a kind of an awkward visit to the arcade with each other. Things just aren't right between them anymore. And you can see what the dad is thinking. He's thinking this is because I'm gay, my son is weirded out, he's creeped out by it. But it's not. What Archie's main problem is is that his dad is behaving awkwardly. His, the, the, his parents are arguing. Archie doesn't seem to have a problem with him being gay, especially when he speaks to his babysitter, who is also his neighbour and at school with them, but in a sort of higher year. He's gay, and he explains to Archie that being gay is just a small part of, uh, of who his father is, that there are many other parts to him and despite a clumsy metaphor and and that's no judgment on the writing this it's it's acknowledged uh, by the characters as a clumsy metaphor it's it goes in and actually gets it and when he finds a leaflet in his dad's car about London Pride he decides that along with Belle and Seb what he needs to do is go to London Pride because on the website there's all these pictures of families looking happy and having a good time and there's no awkwardness, no arguments between them. So he decides that going to London Pride is the right thing to do and that's where he will get his answers from. They come up with a plan, they decide to go there but what they don't know is what they'll do when they get there they don't they don't know what they're looking for they don't know that the answer is going to be there because they don't even really know what the question is they just know something's wrong and Archie's convinced that they'll be able to fix it by going to London Pride 
what we then get is a, a bit of an adventure and yeah, it's a kid's book, so things do all work out. And they work out in a really nice way in that you can have this sort of hodgepodge of a family, you can it doesn't matter that not everyone's living together, that you can become one big family. And it's nice, it's sort of affirming. But what I thought whilst I was reading this is none of the problem is caused... I mean, obviously he runs away and that's a bit of a problem. But none of the problem is caused by Archie himself. He doesn't have a problem with his father being gay. The issue in this book is the lies. They didn't tell Archie straight away what was going on. And the arguments were came out of those lies. But also, when he did tell his son, he just said, I'm gay, do you have any questions? It shouldn't be done like that. It should be, I'm gay and this is what it means for us as a family. You can't expect a 12-year-old to have the questions and to ask the questions and to take the lead on it. And no matter how daunting it is as an adult to come out to a child, your own child, you have to you have to take the lead and you have to be honest with them and you have to tell them what is going to change and more importantly what isn't going to change. So whilst this is a good book for children to read, it's not going to change the minds of any children, I don't think. I don't think a child who has been taught that gay people are an aberration and weird and not normal is going to read this book and particularly change their mind. They might. Uh, and I think what this book is going to do is going to be read by children who are open and whose families are open to it. But what, who I wish would read this book is adults, because I think there's a lesson in here for adults. And not just adults who are gay who need to tell their children. This is about everything. This is all about how lying and uncertainty can lead to problems for your child. So what you have to do is tell the truth, be honest with them, and make sure that they know that they are loved and that they can trust that you'll be there no matter how other, no matter how different parts of your life might be. That is Me, My Dad and The End of the Rainbow. It's written by Benjamin Dean and it has illustrations by Sandhya Prabhat. It's available to order on birtsbooks.co.uk right now. Well, that is everything. Thank you so much for listening to the Burt's Books podcast this week. As ever, do get in touch if you would like to get a book, tell me about a book, or find out more about a book. I am on Burt at burtsbooks.co.uk or on social media at Burt's Books. Those are also the places to go if you would like to take part in the Page Master quiz. I have got some help coming around this afternoon in the form of my sister, so I'm off to get things ready for her. Don't worry, she's in my bubble, but she's going to be doing some updating of the stock numbers on the website for me whilst I uh, get on with sending out some more parcels. Whilst we're doing that, please do uh, keep ordering books. Let me know if there's anything you want. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so that other people can find 
uh, find th these reviews as well, and hopefully they'll find them as useful as you do. In the meantime, keep reading.